0: Welcome to the Mother Love Podcast. This is Claire Larson, your host, and this project was made possible because of the support of Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, the Montana Coalition. Mother Love was created to promote healing, connection, and shared wisdom through stories. Like any given day spent parenting, each episode brings a balance of tears, laughter, wonder, and surrender. When it comes to parenting, no one should go it alone. On Mother Love, we see you. We hear you. We're in this together. Hi, Mother Love listeners. I'm here with Amy Stiffarm this morning. And Amy is new to the Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies team. And we're all really, really excited to have you, Amy. So thanks for being here and willing to be on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I am really, really excited to be officially a part of the HMHB team and just really love all the work that you all do and so just
0: love our team it's so yeah cool. it's so, we have such a great team right now it's really wonderful um but maybe we could start by just having you talk a little bit about what your role is specifically with our organization and maybe a little bit of what led you to this mm-hmm. place where you are now
1: yeah well it's kind of i know we all Feel a little awkward saying new to the HMHB team because I've been right. doing some work for a couple years now, which just seems crazy. Um, you know, did a couple things with the conferences, and then a couple summers ago, started a project, uh, the Tribal Lifts, the resource guide for Indian Country, and yeah. we got to meet with uh, different reservation communities virtually online and did each seven reservation in the state with that. And we were done with it, which was really like exciting. It was like, Oh man, then you did all that. That was so much work. And then it was like a hole in our heart kind of, of like, yeah, totally. What now? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, you know, like, oh, I want to do that again. And then I'm finishing up with school. So I'm applying for jobs and all these other things. And I get, presented this opportunity basically to come to HMHB and really continue that momentum of building relationships with tribes and Native communities in the state. So now HMHB has the uh, Native American Initiatives Program, and I'm the program manager of that. So that's really exciting. It's so exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can talk just because listeners might not know, but a little bit more about what our intention was with making sure that we went to tribal communities and talked with them about lifts because mm-hmm. it was a pretty specific intention and goal
1: mm-hmm. and
0: just kind of what we realized in doing that work. At first it was just kind of like
1: taking these categories and trying to fill in different resources. And I kind of noticed like, okay, well there's some resources that we have that don't fit in these categories as far as us as unlike. like, native people and <laughs> like culture yeah. and you know uh, cultural identity is a really strong protective factor for mental health issues and yeah. there wasn't really a place where we could put that um also like i had participated in different things like parent language classes or um dance troupe for your kids where they teach them how to powwow dance yeah. and all of these things and there wasn't really a place um to list those so i kind of noticed a couple things during the calls is like not a lot of people who I was talking to knew about HMHB and if they did they weren't really aware of all the different programs. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, so we learn in school doing indigenous health research that you always want to include the community at the very first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people kind of come in at the end and say oh, do you prove that we share this? Or oh, do you want to help us recruit? But Now we're learning like we really need to have community from the very beginning. And so when we were done with that part of just collecting the information and, you know, that was initially where my part of the work was going to end, we had a little debrief and I told them that, you know, really, ideally, we probably should have went to the tribes first, to the communities first and asked them, you know, like, are these categories, do you think that? you know, they fit here and are there other things you would want to list? And also that there, there are a lot of people that didn't know about HMHB. And I said, but you know, you still can, you know, it'd be good to just check these and see because it was during COVID. There Mm -hmm. was a lot of things going on. I was trying not to be too buggy. Yeah, I would call people if I knew them or if someone I knew gave me a name So I was really just trying to be conscious of like, there was other things that were more important going on. So a lot of the stuff that I found was like off Facebook and Mm -hmm. uh, Google searches, things like that. So when I told that to Brie and Steph, like, well, you guys can still do it. You know, it's not too late, you know, maybe just go back and check with the people who I contacted and just see what they think. And she was like, great. Do you want to do it?
0: <laughs> That's so brief. Yeah. That was like such a great impersonation. Yeah. Awesome. Good
1: idea. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah. yeah all right. Let's, let's go. And so, um, I kind of used, I was taking qualitative methods until so I kind of knew like how to get like organize sort of like a focus group and just reach out to people who I talked to and ask them who else should be there. And, you know, even the scheduling, we had to be mindful of like, you know, who was going to be around that week. Like, Oh, well, that's the week of their powwow. So let's not contact this, this community. Let's do this one first. Mm And so it was super intentional. And um, it was really great. We got such good, feedback. Um, they were really grateful. Um, yeah. I mean, we were grateful that they were just willing to meet with us. Um, and of course we got to give people, you know, gift cards for their time and expertise. So that's always, you know, helpful to do that, but they were mostly just really grateful. Like, thank you for sharing this information. Thank you for bringing us together. And it was just so It was really um, a beautiful thing to be a part of, which was why it was so hard to be like, all right, bye. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think that, you know, now that we have you aboard officially, that it's so promising to have learned what we learned in that process, because now we can take that approach, which is just so much more respectful, Mm -hmm. you know, than than coming crashing in with like our own ideas and our own agendas and our own our own ways of doing things which for a lot of reasons that doesn't feel good right mm-hmm. and so it's just it's really exciting to be able to think about the impact of even just that one small ish I don't want to call it small but like that one sort of pilot program as you would say where mm-hmm. we where we were able to reach out and connect and create relationship mm-hmm. um is going to inform so much going forward and that's so exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. like even just having those initial contacts and and I will say, you know, it's it is pretty new. Like it's pretty novel, I think, this approach and being willing and having funders that were like, Yeah, like that makes sense. Let's let's do it because oftentimes it's easier just to go ahead and right. take what you have and repeat it with tribes Mm -hmm. or whatever and yeah it is easier and probably faster but what we find in indigenous health research is that you get better quality yeah You get different perspectives. You get things that are actually relatable to the community.
0: And so that's why it's important and it's worth the extra time and effort. And it's also the hardest thing to kind of get at, right? It's kind of the hardest thing and the most necessary thing to be able to access. Mm -hmm. Like those stories and those feelings and those experiences, because you can, like we've talked about before, like you can do surveys all day long and, you know, collect data, like hard data all day long, but you're not really going to understand the issues that are facing our native people and our tribes when it comes to perinatal mental health and like the work that we do at HMHB unless you're able to really create connection and trust. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that's true for any mom that you're talking to about her mental health but it's especially true considering historical trauma and considering all the different power dynamics that are in place between medical communities and you know it's just so much so.
1: Yeah, and when we talk about it like that, it's like, it's the least we can do, right? Is totally. include Include the people. So, we always say, like, working with Indigenous communities instead of working on right. Indigenous communities. And so, in that way, it's like, yeah, it's the very least we could do, but people don't – are still really don't do it. Mm-hmm. And so, the way HMHB has approached this to even ask to be like, we need a na- Native woman to do this work, I – that has, like – I really, of res- really respected HMHB for that. Yeah. And I, you know, as an indigenous woman, last researcher felt very confident yeah. in coming to HMHB to work because I knew that, you know, it's about heart. Like mm-hmm. the heart was in the right place and that they were, that were intentional and were careful. And yeah. I
0: respect that. Yeah. Cool. yay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that is a good kind of um, segue into, can you just tell the audience, the listeners a little bit more about what your focus in school has been um, and how that aligns? Well, you've already talked about how it aligns, but just tell us what you're, what you've been studying and what you've been doing.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually in my final stretch in the University of North Dakota's Indigenous Health PhD program. I have... I got my master's in public health at U of M. I also uh, got my four-year degree at Salish Kootenai College. So I'm a tribal tribal college educated, which is so cool. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think going through it, you don't really realize it until you're at the other end and you're like, wow, like, I had a really unique education experience where we were taught to ground ourselves in culture first and in tradition and relate things back to culture and tradition and really value, um, traditional knowledge. Yeah. And so I, there I was exposed to research and kind of fell in love with research and decided to go into public health to kind of see like, Oh, which area do I want to focus in? Um, and then I got pregnant (laughs) Yeah, and, um, yeah, like after, yeah, I knew maternal child health was really going to be my calling. I got into some breastfeeding work. It was funny. I was having, uh, my cousin had a baby shower for me after my oldest daughter, Tamaya was born. And we were talking about breastfeeding because I had like I don't know if it was like issues or if it was just like lack of confidence. Cause I was like, she's crying and I'm trying mm, totally. and, and I was like, mom, how did you learn to breastfeed? And she's like, I just did it.
0: <laughs> thank, awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Mom. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, but you know, I lived in Polson on the flathead res and I called the public health department and like, within like two or three hours, someone was at my apartment you know, showing me and saying, you got it, you're Mm -hmm. doing it. And it just, after that, I was like confident. Yep. Well, I went back home and I always, I'm from Fort Belknap. I'm enrolled there. I'm Ani. I'm also Cree and Blackfeet. And um, so we went back to my mom and dad's and my cousin had a baby shower for me. And she was, she just had her third baby and she breastfed all of her kids and she was a young mom and she's still breastfed and but with this baby she was having issues Mm -hmm. and so she was like driving like these great lengths to try to get help for her her baby who was having issues nursing and um we were talking about it and i kind of realized that there was one like lactation consultant for the whole reservation. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, man, I realized how privileged I was. And I realized that how wrong that was. Yeah. And so I got really interested in that. And I ended up focusing the rest of my master's degree on native American breastfeeding. And so, um, I learned about Kami Goldhammer who did a lot of amazing and is still doing amazing work in Washington and i just really learned about especially kind of that a lot of times they say oh there's native women don't breastfeed or you know there's not there's not enough support for native women or kind of a lot of negative mm-hmm. things and and through cami goldhammer she really was able to break it down as far as historical trauma and the impacts of removing children from families and sending them to boarding school and really disrupting that translation of knowledge specific to parenting and pregnancy and how that breaking of knowledge is was really to blame not Not native women yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and i was like wow like this is
0: this is great. So that, that happened. It's great, but it also is like, duh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm like, why did it take so long to, I mean, right. there are many complicated and not that complicated, but like many excuses for why people don't come to that conclusion well, prior they, to when they do, but
1: they talk about it in a lot of other ways, yeah. you
0: know, like maybe
1: eating habits and nutrition and uh, kind of, kind of more chronic diseases there wasn't and there still isn't a lot of research specific to perinatal health with indigenous mm-hmm. with an indigenous focus and a lot of the papers when i first started back in my phd there weren't a lot of papers that even talked about colonization and historical trauma it just started out with like
0: look how, health problems yeah. and social determinants of health and all of that stuff without looking at like, like you have a model where it's like, you no, know, you have to look at the actual roots mm-hmm. and all of these things that people are recognizing on the surface right. have deep, deep roots that need to be acknowledged before you can address any of those other things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so when I did my master's, when I was finishing up, I was pregnant with, kasaya
0: Which let's just take a minute to pause and be like what i know yeah that's so much yeah it was
1: a lot it was a lot and i took a little break i was so tired i remember i was like falling asleep doing my readings mm-hmm. i took a little break and then um i went to a conference and i heard Abigail Echohawk speak, who is like another mover and shaker in Indian country, he talks a lot about indigenous data sovereignty and all all the cool things. And I remember being like, All right, I'm gonna finish this. I'm gonna finish this writing.
0: Yeah, it like lit a fire mm-hmm. in you.
1: Yeah. So I finished my writing and presented my you know, capstone or all the things I had to do, and yeah. graduated, mm-hmm. and Assia was just one at that time. Dang, yeah, that's good and, job. Yeah, <laughs> well, it also was like I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was just like I can't. Um, no, I'm not doing this. Um, I also kind of felt like when I was doing a lot of the breastfeeding stuff, there there wasn't a lot of like mentorship for me. Like I wasn't, I didn't have. It was hard to be like one of the only native students in a lot of my classes and I was really found myself like in a place where I was trying to educate yeah. my classmates and and help them kind of understand a little bit more about like the issues in their state regarding
0: tribes and which is um, exhausting and like a whole other job in and of itself
1: it was exhausting and it was extra work like I had to always do extra work to find like the native specific statistics on whatever subject we were studying so I kind of felt like in order to do if I was going to go on and do a PhD I would have to be like this interdisciplinary thing where it would be like part Native American studies and part public health and I just I didn't want to do it. It was, I was tired Yeah, and my kids were little and I just started working for a while and, and we'll kind of get to this a little bit later, but I was depressed. I I was really struggling, um, especially postpartum with depression and anxiety. And I just took that time to kind of work and try to
0: be normal, Mm -hmm. survive. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, I just understand what that means and I think so many listeners will understand that like when you're when you're a baby even if you weren't in school, like I feel like when we made it to the one year mark, I was like, Okay, we survived. We might continue to survive. I don't really know. Yeah. But like just like you're saying, like just kind of finding the normal and like stabilizing a little bit. Yeah. And getting yeah. like to solid ground is a big deal. Yeah. So yeah. especially when you're struggling with Postpartum mood stuff, which we we will go into yeah, later. But
1: well, it was so stressful. I was having like stress dreams of like my computer being on fire and like me losing all this writing. And yeah. So I, yeah, I, I I chilled for a while. And, and where were you working? So I was kind of like in the research game and kind of feeling like, well, if I ever wanted to like do my own research project, like I don't have the right initials behind my name, mm-hmm. but. I'm still not willing or ready to do this whole multidisciplinary PhD thing. And then the university of North Dakota announced the very first ever indigenous health PhD program. And when I saw it, like literally felt like the stars aligned. Like I felt like it wasn't a like, Oh, I I'd like to do that. It was a,
0: I I'm going to to do do this. Yeah.
1: I have to do that. Yeah and so that's
0: awesome those moments are so like so special
1: i was interested in in my postpartum experience but i also felt like not quite ready or i didn't i didn't want to really think about it still and i also felt like guilty like i kind of felt like who am i to work with moms and babies or study moms and babies when like i didn't even like being pregnant or my motherhood experience this time around like who am i to do this yeah. And it was really hard. And we were at that point where it's like, okay, you got to figure it. you know, you got to, you got to choose now. You got to choose your topic because right. you, that's, you need to start studying if you're going to do your dissertation on this kind of stuff. And so I finally just had this moment where I realized that I did not want other people to feel the way I felt about that. Yep. I didn't want people to feel that guilt and shame and that kind of suffering, in silence, yeah. I kind of felt like, okay, like I will, I will do it. Like, yeah. Kind of reluctant. Like, yeah. all right, I yeah. guess. All right.
0: And in that way, it's so interesting because it's one of those things, right? Where like, this is so often the case in this type of work, but you're the hardship and struggle and pain that you've gone through then becomes the qualifier for mm-hmm you being able to work with other moms who are going through those same things. And had you not had that experience, you wouldn't have the perspective and be able to empathize with their experiences and really be able to address the concerns in a way that is like, you have your own lived experience and felt sensation of what that's like, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, I feel like that's it's like, who am I to do this? It's like, you're exactly the person to do this.
1: Yeah, and I was also a little mad, you know? Like, I, yeah. I started looking up the literature, the, the research on it. Not only was there not a lot, mm-hmm. it was all, like, these papers that, I felt really perpetuated negative stereotypes about Native women, especially like when it came to, to substance use. It yeah. wasn't telling the whole story. Totally, wasn't, you know, going back to the root issues. And it really made me mad <laughs> of mm-hmm. like, why is nobody looking at this? Right, And it I felt kind of uh, jaded about that yeah. for a while because I kind of felt like nobody cares. Yeah.
0: Well, it's almost like the literature that people were putting out was, like, more of a a confirmation and affirmation and, like, a statement that, like, this is a lost cause, mm, right? Because yeah. if everyone is, like, just struggling with addiction and poverty and all – and these things are happening in these communities, then, like, what are we going to do? Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like you throw your hands up in the air if that's the only data that's been collected and, like, right. proven.
1: yeah. Or it's like come help us or like we need right. we need help. And right. What we were one of the very first things we learned in the indigenous health program is, you know, we've survived a right. lot. Totally. we have been through a lot and we, you know, there is, you know, negative effects of that historical trauma and genocide and the stealing of of our our knowledge. I don't like to say loss of knowledge. I like to say right. stealing totally. because it was like really intentional way of disconnecting that knowledge, um, translation. And we're taught to really look at the strengths, Mm -hmm. like why, you know, we're, we've been through a lot and we're still here. Mm -hmm. What part of those strengths of each different community can be used to fix these issues. And none of the research really that I saw at that time was talking about that. So yeah, I decided to do that and it just kind of, it was, yeah, everything has been working out pretty great so far. And so right now I finished all my classes. I passed my um, Mm -hmm. comprehensive exams, both of written and oral. And so I'm officially now a PhD candidate as of like January. And so now I'm just strictly doing dissertation work. And so it's a really exciting, but also like terrifying place to be. Cause this is where I was when I, you know, was pregnant with Kasia and I like took yeah. the break and it's yeah. just, it's all this writing, but yeah. um, luckily, you know, I'm in the environment again, like I'm right. doing work with HMHB and it's super related to my dissertation. I have, you know, my team here and I have my uh, professors and my advisor back at UND who mm. are like, you know, it's a very, I'm very motivated. Yeah. So. That's
0: so awesome. Good job thank you yeah. so much work yeah yeah and you just moved oh, yeah. so you're yep. like settling into a whole new place and community of yeah. people too well let's kind of go we're gonna rewind a little bit and talk about um and what i'd like to talk about next is your own personal experience with having mood a mood disorder and experiencing mm-hmm. postpartum depression mm-hmm. uh I think that's a really rich part of your story and it's something that you and I have been able to talk about and relate to one another. So, let's go there. Yeah. And I don't really know where to begin, but I bet you do.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't really know where to begin either and and I think like for me it's it is still hard telling my story mm-hmm. because I feel like not very many people know that about me yeah. even. I feel like people who maybe sit in on my presentations might know more about me than some folks in my own community or even some of my own family right. sometimes. yeah. So it gets a little it, it's hard but I also know it's important because I am always so inspired by other people's stories. And I think like through my story, I use a lot of my own story in my presentations to help give examples of like where these breakdowns are or where the, you know, where more
0: support is needed, Mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And maybe a good place to start, which you mentioned before is like you, you didn't really realize mm -hmm. what was happening until you went to school And Mm -hmm. learned about this. Yeah. And then in hindsight, it was like, oh, you know, which is a, that's a big, that's a big deal Mm -hmm. because if you don't know what's happening while it's happening, that leads to a whole host of like self-blame and shame and these perpetuating feelings that depression loves to feed off of. So, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Well, then where, where I kind of like my favorite part, I think of this, of my whole story is when it when I first was like, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. I was working with moms and babies at the time. It was like a, um, residential home for, for moms and babies. And, um, I, you know, I had all this, I was in graduate school studying maternal child health. Like I knew about all these things. And finally I sat down on my computer and I Googled postpartum depression and I took the little, you know, quick Mm -hmm. quiz. And I was like. (laughs) Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. like oh my god yeah. like this sucks and yeah um but i didn't know what to do i right. felt stuck and i didn't want to tell anybody i was ashamed like kind of like we talked about and i was working with moms and babies so i was like freaked out like oh my god like who am I to work with moms and babies? Like if I can't even figure this out and yeah. what I ended up doing was I Facebook messaged one of my best friends from Fort Belmont mm-hmm. and I, and I, it's funny cause I actually went back and looked at that text or that Facebook message a while ago and it was like, Hey, um, don't call me. <laughs> I can't talk. I'm at work right now, but I think I have postpartum depression, LOL. Yeah. And she was just like, like, thank you for telling me. And like, that's, I'm I'm sorry. And then the next message was like, I have an appointment for you Uh here at this time. And I was like, I can't go there. I know people there. I don't want to go there. Okay. I just talked to so-and-so at this place, <laughs> like this was like within a half hour, she had called three different places and, um, you know, was pretending to be me and making, and then canceling appointments when I told her I knew too many people there. Mm-hmm. And she actually found me, um, someone who was in a different town that, you know, took Medicaid and was willing, um, to see me. That's so great. Yeah. And I think about that and it's just like, wow, you know, cause I was, I don't know if I was ever going to do that
0: for myself. Totally. It's one of the hardest pieces because there there are so many challenges, but even when you're feeling depressed doing anything additional to mm-hmm. what you're already doing seems like a big deal and then when that additional step involves like you having to confront the reality that you're going through that mm-hmm. you being vulnerable taking a risk and sharing it with someone you've never met mm-hmm. you know in your case being afraid of who else would find out you were going through that mm-hmm. like all of those things are stacked up before you even like pick up your phone to look for a number to call right so when someone can help you do that i feel like you can refer moms all day long you know but a lot of people are full and they're not taking new clients so it's this whole this is this whole process that Mm -hmm. has to happen after that moment of realization that is really really hard Mm -hmm. and having support through that I think is super important
1: yeah and it makes it real too Mm -hmm. of like oh man like this is real and and so Kasaya was like six weeks old Mm -hmm. at that time And I was just getting ready to go to my six week appointment. And so when there, they had me fill out the screener and I I did. And I remember they were kind of like, well, do you want help? I was like, Oh, I already got a therapist. It's fine. Like I kind of like pushed them away about that and was like, Oh no, I'm going to therapy. And you know, therapy did help me a lot because I got to like, talk about it without feeling so guilty of like, oh, I'm talking bad about motherhood when it's supposed to be so beautiful. Yeah. And, and, um, but also like I was having anxiety, I was getting panic attacks. And so I like, she helped me become more aware of like where I was feeling it in my body and like breathing there and like kind of focusing to kind of, I guess, shift my focus to prevent the panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful. So I was really grateful. I was really grateful for that. And, um, that was kind of, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be on medication. I was all still very nervous about people finding out because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be judged. And I didn't, I don't know. You just have these fears of like someone feeling like I'm an unfit mom mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Like, you know, oh, they're going to see my, what if someone gets a hold of my medical records and just these fears. And yeah, so it was a really tough time because i was in i didn't tell a lot of people and i was i was still was getting help but i was still like going through it in silence and and that's what a lot of what i found is a lot of people do yeah and you know nobody really told me <laughs> nobody told me how important it was to like not lie on those questionnaires yeah. before you when during my appointments when i was pregnant When it asked if I had a history of mental health issues, Mm -hmm. I, I said, no, I lied (laughs) because I did. I, I was depressed in high school before, but at that point in my life, I was like, oh, that was just high school and I don't want to bring any issues. You know, I'm a native mom here. And even though I'm like coming to all my appointments and I'm, you know, in graduate school, like I'm, I wasn't using or, you know, I was quote unquote, like an ideal patient, right. but I still felt like there was a risk to take my baby away. Yeah, And I, and I think that for native women, especially that really comes to the fact that that is a very, that's a very real fear because of, you know, our, our historical trauma around knowing that our grandmothers or great grandmothers were separated from their families mm-hmm as kids and also that some women were for, like forced forced to be sterilized they were, yes. they were sterilized against their will but also like cps and, and yeah. how many native babies are are in that system yeah. at such a higher rate than any yeah. anybody else and yeah. so yeah knowing those things right. it, like even though like i wasn't in any of those categories i still felt scared
0: yeah Yeah. And there's the part two that you mentioned, which I think is like a pretty common experience of, you know, just these like rites of passage as a woman in general, where it's like, okay, I also was depressed in high school. So when I became pregnant, I was like, oh, this will be a new start. Like this will be, I can leave all of that behind. And when I have my baby, like that's almost going to be like, of course I won't be depressed because that's mm-hmm. going to be such a happy thing. Yeah, And then, and then it isn't. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh no, like I'm still the same person with the same struggles where I, I like thought that overnight I was going to be like Betty Crocker and I was going to like be like the perfect housewife. And I just had this vision in my mind of like a complete change mm-hmm. in me as soon as baby came. And then when that doesn't happen, you know, and that's part of why you don't, I think you don't, people aren't honest when they take the evaluations, especially in pregnancy Mm -hmm. is they're like, yes, I've had this before, but I don't want to mention it on here because I don't want to consider that it could come back.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or even no, like I didn't know how much that put me at risk. And I think if I did, I would have been like, Oh yeah. Like, like help or, you know, I've, I've never really, at that point, never really heard of anybody who had, you know, unless the extreme like headline things. And it was actually kind of funny because, uh, well, I guess it's not funny, but it's maybe ironic. Um, one of my friends posted on Facebook about her struggles with postpartum depression Mm -hmm. And it was, it was crazy because we had been like in a running group together. We'd been done some races together and, and I didn't know that about her. And she definitely didn't know that about me. And I I messaged her and I was like, you know, I, I, struggle too, you know, thank you for saying something. And she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I would have never guessed. And I didn't know. And, and then a while, like a while later she kind of invited me. She's like, Hey, there's people in town and here it was HMHB. And they were doing these workshops for, to be able to tell your story. And she's like, are you ready? You know, are you ready to tell your story? Like you want to talk about it and it'll be really healing. And I, I think it'll be really good for you. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then I like backed out the morning of, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not ready. That's scary. I it was like, I was still you know, in kind of go, go, go mode. Like I, I had started running, so I was really active in running and that was my medicine. Mm -hmm. And, but I was also, I think that kind of is a good um, metaphor for my life because I was not slowing down enough to really sit with my sit with myself. But so I totally backed out on that totally, you know, sit her up, but I (laughs) sent a text (laughs) (laughs) and then like, after I after I enroll in the PhD program and start school for a while and say yes, basically to perinatal mental health, she Facebook messages me again. And she says, are you ready to tell your story now? And again, I was like, no, (laughs) I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then I'm like, well, someone has to talk about Mm -hmm. this lack of literature. Yeah. Someone has to talk about it and oh crap I guess that's me
0: I guess I'm the one (laughs) who has to talk about it oh yeah and
1: so I was like okay yeah and yeah that put me on my first panel at the perinatal mental health conference Mm and um you know that really it was a healing experience Mm -hmm. for me and it um it was it it opened a lot of doors Mm -hmm. and I know that's why I'm here now where I'm in this role at HMHB too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so cool. I think part of what's hard of about telling our own personal stories too, is it's like we want, because stories often are like follow this linear, you know, formula. Like I've been like, Oh, I can't tell my story and have, the end be like, and I'm still depressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it seems like there has to be resolution. Yeah. And part of the resolution, if you are a person who lives with mental illness or who struggles with depression or anxiety, is like oftentimes it's still a part of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and it comes back and and there mm-hmm. are things that remind you of those times when you're really ill and you have to be able to accept that like it's an ongoing healing process mm-hmm. and hopefully like it doesn't stay as dark and as low as it was before mm-hmm. but it's not the kind of story that like you tie it up with a neat bow and say like the end right. and now I'm like living happily ever after right. you Here's know this pretty cute right. little story yeah like, feel good <laughs> yeah there's no like final solution to it and I feel like that's part of what's hard about telling the story yeah. but it's also what's really hopeful mm-hmm. to people who are hearing the story because if that's not the end goal to like cure or like be completely rid of these things that are a part of who we are then there's hope that like it's achievable to Mm -hmm. even get better at all
1: right and like like, hearing other people's stories
0: it's like you learn tricks
1: you know you learn things to add to your own toolbox and even for me like my own story can kind of has become my toolbox too. Of like, okay, I better. It's been a while since I like been outside. I better go do that. Or, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it, it was really interesting and a really um, eye-opening experience being in school and studying this because I didn't really realize. Well, even just the opportunities that were missed of of me kind of not feeling good or me that's how I knew like, Oh man, I should have actually been truthful on that. Um, on that uh, question about if I had any mental health issues in the past, cause that might've, someone might've been able to help me sooner. Yeah. But also like during one of the things that happened to me, was during COVID. I um, started getting depressed again. I would get these depressive episodes and like when I get depressed, I like want to stay in bed and like doing anything. Like I'm, I, my mind is working like against me so hard mm. that any little thing feels like I'm going to do it wrong so I'm not going to do it at yeah. all. Like literally doing the least and I was home with my girls by myself and they were pretty young at the time when covid happened. I think they were like 3 and 5. Mm-hmm. And it god, was... that's
0: hard ages for that to be in yeah. isolation and quarantine. Yeah, we were yeah. not doing the homework. Yeah.
1: That we were <laughs> My daughter was in
0: like kindergarten and it's like, No, no, we're not the we, same. This. I had one in kindergarten and it was like kindergarten online, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anyways.
1: Um and so but what happened was I was going through these depressive episodes and I was laying in bed, my oldest Tamaya, she comes up and she was like, Mom, can you please get out of bed? Mm-hmm. And in that moment I like remembered like me being in high school when I was depressed, and my dad standing at my door and was saying, Please aim, please get up, please get out of bed. And then I thought about when I was pregnant with Kosiah, my husband at the time, standing at the door of the bedroom and saying, You can't do this, aim, you gotta get up, will you please get out of bed? And I realized that like mm. depression had been a part of my life for a lot longer a lot more frequently than I realized and so it made me feel at that point a little bit like damn this is never going away yeah this is this is how I'm gonna be forever yeah but it really helped me realize that this wasn't something that just happened in postpartum like this was um so you know once I got out of that episode I, I got back into therapy and was you know trying to keep myself well yeah but what it helped me realize was that I didn't realize I was depressed during my pregnancy but I was yeah. and there were so many different times where I just didn't have the language to describe how I felt but I knew I felt really really bad because yeah. I was like stuck in bed I was so exhausted but I had Tamaya who was a toddler and I just I remember I kept telling everybody like I don't like all my different providers on my different appointments. Like I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like myself. Yeah. I feel different this time. I feel tired. And then a lot of times I would just get answers like, well, you're a little bit older this time, or it's harder when you have another one. Cause you got to rest as much as you wanted last time. So this time it's different. And so I got all of these messaging of like, yeah. it was almost like, you'll be fine. Get through it. Yeah. And so that was, I, I literally thought like every appointment, whenever I went in to like get my blood drawn or, you know, pee in a cup that something was going to come back and there was going to be like this, aha, this is what it is. And you just need to take more iron or, you know, like, I literally thought something was going to show up because I knew something was wrong, but I didn't really know how to explain it. Right. Yeah. And so When I had, after I
0: I figured I was just tired, you know, like it was a pregnancy. Yeah, it is. It's hard to discern because it is, it is exhausting to be pregnant and have a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but just one more question, like when you had gone into the office might have made a huge difference of like, what do you mean you don't feel Mm -hmm. the same? Mm -hmm. Like, tell me more about that. Right. You know? Right.
1: And, you know. I know people are busy. Like, yeah. I'm, I know I study all these things. I know how underfunded. So I'm usually like, all right, yeah. here's my stuff and like, right. let's go. But yeah. And when I had Kasaya, I literally thought that I was going to feel better yeah. because, okay, my baby's here now yep. and I'm not pregnant anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. Like, yeah. I've reached the end. Like, yeah. I'm going to start feeling yep. better. And I never did. Yeah. And I felt really cheated about that. Yeah, I,
0: I felt... remember someone, I remember like specifically a doctor's room that I was in and I was really struggling and I was trying to like convey that. And I remember him saying to me, well, the cure to what you're describing is birth is giving birth. Mm. Like, and so I remember just being like, okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. i'm gonna put a lot on that then you know yeah. there's a lot riding on you being right about that and then yeah, I'm like it a wasn't older true. in this pregnancy and so okay yeah once i'm done with this pregnancy once i give
1: birth like i'm gonna see my baby and we're right. gonna have these butterflies and the butterflies never came yep and i used to feel really guilty about that too yeah. you know totally. and, and now i kind of like i don't know for sure but i kind of just tell myself that the butterflies were there mm-hmm. like i just couldn't feel them yeah like, I think, you know, I really do believe that, like, Kasai felt them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just, yeah, that's something I, I still feel guilty about, but that's kind of the only way to describe it of like, I thought this
0: was going to happen and then it didn't. And, yeah, that's how depression behaves. Mm-hmm. Like, it numbs, it takes away, it like mutes those moments. So, mm-hmm. like, you're right. They're still there, they're still happening. Thankfully, a lot of times the other people involved can still feel mm-hmm. what's going on. But when you are experiencing deep depression and anxiety, like there's a filter and you can't quite feel what you know you should be or want to be feeling right. in these moments that are so beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then even like after too, like there were a couple times like I remember saying like I just don't feel. This was after because was born. Like I just don't feel, you know, like I'm can't sleep. I'm so tired, and and then like I would just get like. But you're doing a good job. You're yeah. you're a great mom. Totally, you got this. <laughs> yeah, like. Oh God. Which, yeah. Like, I wish someone could just see, like, I wish someone could see me right. and see that I don't got it. Yeah. And like, I don't know the solution, like come and help. Or, you know, I was thinking like, well, what if I didn't have a job and I moved home and my, you know, I was thinking all of these things right. and, you know, I didn't, I just had to get up every morning and push through, yeah. go to work yeah. and get, get it done. And yeah, it was my, my symptoms are really, um, awful like especially with the new baby because i what was happening to me is i was um staying up i would fall asleep but then i'd wake up in the middle of the night and having these like ruminating thoughts yeah. and um bad bad thoughts thoughts that um were make me worry about things and my mind basically playing tricks on me but it was awful because it was while my family was sleeping like everybody was resting but me and I knew that I was the one who needed the most rest yeah, totally like I was so tired yeah. and that just made it worse and so when it came time to
0: get up through the day I was just going through the motions yeah Because I was so tired. Yeah. And everyone around you is energized and and they want you to be energized with them. Mm -hmm. That's part of like having kiddos when you're sleep deprived is so hard because like you said, like you watch them recharge their batteries and you know that like their level of energy is going to be like yay in the morning, like, let's go do all the things. And yeah. if you're a mom, who's just like dragging yourself from room to room, like, mm-hmm. and you want to be able to rise to the occasion and rise to that energy, but you can't like, right. physically, it's impossible. Yeah. That's a really hard place to be.
1: Yeah. And knowing, you know, looking at the clock, oh, I'm still up, yeah. I'm still up and yeah. knowing, well, great. My alarm's going to go off in like an hour and a half so that I can pump before kasaya yeah. wakes up and so i can shower before the kids wake up so i can get them ready and so i can you know like i have totally. all of these things like i have stuff to do like i can't be tired right yeah. now yeah and if i don't do them who's gonna do them yeah. you know and and so it was a really it was really hard and i think about that time sometimes especially you know it's still the same like when i during covid when i was getting going through depression a lot It was the same thing whenever I'd start not sleeping at night, then it would, it would hit, hit me. Yeah. And like, and even to this day, if I have a rough night sleeping, I get scared Totally. or else if I take a nap or if I have one of those days where I'm just like lounging around all day or staying in bed, watching TV or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Is it going to happen again for a while there after like, for a while, I would make my bed every single day for the reason, not because, you know, I like it to look neat, but because of, if I don't make this bed, I'm going to get stuck in it. Yep. Like, do not come lay in this bed. So always, I always have still like this fear, you know, this waiting for the other shoe to drop. I totally relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always, so it's always affecting me. And the beautiful thing, I I feel like my favorite parts of my story are when I get support. I get help. And so, like I said, during COVID, it happened. I was like doing therapy, still not wanting to do medication. Um, I remember one Thanksgiving, one of my friends came over. She hadn't heard from me or, you know, I was not like hanging out. And she, she was like, I'm coming over. You know, I'm, I know something's wrong and I'm coming over right now. <laughs> she brought peanut butter and (laughs) she, uh, come and got my girls and fed them. And she said, just rest like whatever you need. And me, I'm thinking, Oh God, I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to, you know, right. And I uh, laid there and like cried and ate my peanut butter (laughs) and, but man, and then when she came back, we talked about it. And that was, that was what was so hard with depression too. And this time, like, cause it was like, well, what's wrong? What happened? And it's literally like nothing happened. Yeah. Like there was no drama there that just feel like this. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even worse of like, geez, nothing's even wrong. Why are you so sad? Yeah. Like to myself, you totally. know? Yep. And so being able to just like voice it over with my friend a little bit, that kind
0: of gave me just a little bit of like, not, not being alone. Yeah. Well, and like you said, like there's so many times when people are meaning well and meaning to be encouraging where they say you got this and like, it's going to be okay. And all these things. And you said like, you, you don't feel seen, you Mm -hmm. feel invisible and you feel like even more invalidated in how you're feeling. And like, this is what it looks like for a friend to not do that. Right. Mm -hmm. To to say like, Oh, you don't got this. So I'm going to come over and help you because I can see that you're really suffering Mm -hmm. peanut butter, help with the kids (laughs) rest. Like those aren't huge things, but when you're depressed, like for someone to actually be willing to like break through the wall that you've put up and extend they're generous just like okay i have energy i know you don't so let me help you with just these things even right and and it's like yes that's helpful for all the practical reasons but it's also helpful because you just don't feel alone anymore Mm -hmm. and you feel like you kind of like maybe deserve to rest for a minute right Uh, and i had a couple friends
1: do that for me before and i always think about that you know like that's the kind of the kind of act that i think people don't ever i'll never forget that yeah So I I had done that and I was during, that was during school and it was really hard to be like feeling like that and not, you know, still having papers to write and kids to feed.
0: I can't imagine. It
1: was, it sucked. And then, so it kind of started happening again. I was like, okay, I waited until, you know, it was too late last time, not too late, but my friends had to reach out to me this time. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get support. And I felt it like coming on and I told one of my uh, really good friends in school, we're classmates, we did did a lot of awesome papers and stuff together and like a lot of our classes focusing on moms and babies pretty much. And I told her, I was like, I think I'm getting depressed again and I was also more comfortable talking about it because of my research and because I was sharing my story more like all my classmates knew because I always give my positionality statement about Mm -hmm. it so people know why I'm studying what I'm studying so I was like man I feel like I'm getting depressed again like oh what's going on well there's this there's this there's this um I just feel it I feel it coming and I'm just I can't do it again yeah totally and she was like have you ever thought about medication no 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 because I don't know I don't know about the side effects that scares me it's just me here with my kids she's like well I know that I've you know I've used it before and it made me feel like I could (laughs) she said something crazy like it made me feel like I could do life again yeah and I was like well (laughs) Okay. sounds pretty yeah. good. That would be great. <laughs> I'll, I'll take some of that, please. Yeah,
0: totally. Because so, I don't feel like
1: I can yeah, do life right now. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And it it's so like, it's so tricky with depression too, because a lot of times, like, I just feel guilty. Yeah. And, I, and I feel like a burden. And I don't think what people realize, like people say like death by suicide and stuff is is selfish. And, and I hear a lot of that talk and that really, you know, hurts me because I, I don't, I know that that's not true. Totally. Me too. Like, yeah. For, for me, I just felt like such a burden. I literally felt like my f- girls would be better off without a parent like this, Yep. that my family would be better off without having to worry about me or yep. my friends worrying about me. Yep. And so, yeah, I was, I was really, that point, at that point, really starting to go through it and kind of feeling like, Oh man, like I, I, I don't think I can do this like anymore. I think you don't have it in you
0: to go through another
1: round of it yeah. alone. Yeah. Yeah. And so because I reached out, I did make an appointment. I made an appointment at IHS. And um, when I talked to my provider about it and she was great, like she was native mm-hmm. and she kind of broke it down. She's like, I think you, you know, these are coming back in cycles. Like it always comes back. And I think you, I think you're right to think about medication and this is what we, you know, this is what we can do for you. And one thing like I I do, I'm in the process where I do uh, this fast during the summer, like for ceremony. And I was like, well, I can't, I need to be on I need to be off of it by this time or, you know, so she, and when I told her that she understood, she didn't like question me or be like, no, you have to take your medication no matter what mm-hmm. she, she worked with me on that yeah. and like made me yeah. feel comfortable about it and knew that that was coming and, you know, and told me, you know, it would be fine. And so I started taking medication last year and I, it's crazy. It's right. like yeah. night and day. Yeah. And and me being me here, you know, the mind still learning how not to let my mind play tricks on me. I felt really slighted about that. Like, wow. Like, I think because I was four at mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, she was five, and I was like, wow. Like, maybe, maybe I could have had a whole different life. Yeah, if I would have just been more open to it right. when. Maybe in that very first questionnaire when I was yeah. pregnant or, yeah. you know, and so I felt like really slighted that, you know, maybe I could have been a better mom to my kids or all of these different things. But at the same time, I was just so grateful totally to be feeling better now. Yeah. I didn't really let myself go down that road too much, but I, I do, I do make sure I let people know that because yeah there might be other people considering it or afraid of it or whatever. And For sure. It was, yeah, I was afraid that I was going to, you know, you hear the commercials about like risk of suicide or, mm-hmm. and, and so I was scared that that was going to, I was going to make it worse. Totally. And like, it was yeah. going to be my kids. And yep. um, so my doctor helped me come up with a plan of like, okay, well, you're going to check in with your friend. Like she's, in different states away but you talk to her all the time and you see her in class and so you're gonna check in with her and and they'll be the ones to to let you know if you need to you know do something but she also said which i didn't know is like when you're really young and your brain's still forming that's when there's a lot of different risks for um medication and she said that now that my brain was like already formed that a lot of there's not it's not the same. Oh, That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: I've never really heard that, but that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. that made
1: me feel better. Yeah. It totally. It made me
0: feel like, all right, because let's... that fear was real mm-hmm. and she recognized it, acknowledged it, and then addressed it, which right. is so much different than being like, Oh, it's probably going to be fine.
1: Yeah. Oh, you, you know, no. yeah. why are you afraid yeah. of medication? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really good. And so yeah. that's, yeah. that's, and like, kind of like you said, it, it never, it's always something that I'm gonna, you know, battle. Like I, I think at first I thought, Oh, I'm going to try to get off of these and, you know, so-and-so and and be okay on my own. But it just feels so much, life feels a lot easier. And for my girls, you know, too, like being able to not have a episode where I'm like stuck in bed. Yeah, But I I try to be really real with my girls of like, mom's not feeling good. Mom needs to rest. They know I take medication and they, you know, they're learning about it. Like I'm trying to you know, use age appropriate language or whatever, but I want them to know yeah. this isn't something that I feel like I want to hide from them or keep from them. Whereas in the moment I was like, Oh my God, nobody see me cry. Nobody, yeah. nobody see mom have a panic attack, yeah. but they need to know because they're at risk totally. because I had it. Yeah. And that's part of it. Like when I'm in, when I was in those moments of like kind of feeling like I wasn't going to win this one, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, things that i always thought about were like i didn't want my girls to go through that yeah of like losing a parent or losing me yeah and i was selfish too like i want to be around my girls like i want to be the one to raise them but it's also like i
0: need to be there to warn them yeah
1: when they have babies yeah well
0: yeah and i think we feel like we're protecting our children by keeping it hidden from them But really, we're putting them more at risk because they're going to be just as blindsided as we were if they don't know anything about what to expect. Exactly. You know, and I and I do I also this is a really hard conversation to have, but there's been a recent, you know, incident of postpartum psychosis. And I just as much as we were talking about that, like, it's really hard for people to understand that suicide isn't a selfish act Mm -hmm. and like something that's like. It can be impulsive, but oftentimes there's been a leading up of like a mindset and a a thought pattern that Mm -hmm. is contributing to that belief. And like when I think about that one of the only things that has kept me alive in those moments – is my kids and knowing like, I don't want someone else to raise them. I don't want to miss out on their life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about like them graduating and their weddings and and not being there for that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, then it makes me understand and empathize with these moms who also take their children with them Mm -hmm. because it's like, if you really can't bear the thought of living, but you don't, but that's the only thing keeping you Mm -hmm. like, I don't I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not like saying like yes, this is a good idea. <laughs> I'm just saying like sometimes when I think about it, it doesn't sound that crazy to me yeah. because I understand that equation. Yeah, because we felt that we have this empathy. Yeah. And and it's
1: not it's not selfish. It's it's our mind. Like the mind is so When they say your mind can play tricks on you, like, I almost feel like it's such an understatement. Totally. It's really tough to be in that, that cycle of like beating yourself up to the point where you can't get out of bed. And one of my therapists was like, of course you can't get out of bed. Like, do you, do you, I need you to listen to how you're talking to yourself. Like, how would you talk to your best friend? How would you talk to your daughters Mm -hmm. if they were stuck in bed? Right. So like, that's kind of what I try to, I try to remember and of like, my body just needs to rest. And so I would talk to my girls to tell them what was happening a little bit, but I was really telling it for myself. Like mom needs to rest. Like my body's telling me to rest. Like, Mm -hmm. and that was helpful because I was telling them, but I was hearing it too. Yeah. And yeah, it was pretty, it's pretty powerful. I think for me too, like, I know that I can't physically protect them you know Mm -hmm. like I can only do so much physically totally but what I'm learning in school and just kind of the way my mind works like there's a system Mm -hmm. that we can change Mm -hmm. to make this to make people more aware to give people more support to help people get the help that they need Mm -hmm. to normalize this to commonize it like we we need to be talking about this if, you know, not for ourselves, but for our daughters. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I think so. And just taking, trying to continuing to chip away at that stigma that is so profound still. I do think we're all making great progress about mental health and like being more aware of it, but there's still that sinking feeling of like I'm broken and I don't want anyone to see that I'm broken. Mm -hmm. And it feels so scary to say you know i have depression and i want to die versus like i have cancer and i am dying mm-hmm. you know and and like that is a comparison that happens all the time i'm not the first one to come up with that but like somehow there's no judgment around one and a lot more compassion actually and then there's a lot of judgment a lot of times and a lot of just like well pull yourself up by your bootstraps and right. this whole idea of like you got yourself into this you can get yourself out of it kind of a thing you know and yeah and that just isn't it just doesn't work and like you said when you talk to your girls about rest and kind of like helping them to understand how this type of rest when you speak with them about it is different than the kind of like exhaustion that you experienced before I'm sure that's reassuring for them too to like be like I know that I'm going to lay down. I'm doing that on purpose mm-hmm. and I'm doing that so that when I get up, I have more energy and I feel better mm-hmm. versus like, just like, Oh, like I'm retreating to my bed for who knows how long. Yeah. And I'm only saying that cause I've been there too. Um, and it gives them permission to rest and it gives them permission to slow down mm-hmm. and reflect and be able to say like, what do I need right now to be okay? Right. You know? And I think for me, medication is part of that equation because like, not only can you do life again, as in, like, you know, stay up again and do all the dishes and pack the lunches and, like, today's Valentine's Day and oh you posted God. about, like, row, all the Valentines are out, my kids giving out Easter candy today, for example. But, like, the, all those things, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. But then it's also, like, I have to have available to me the tools to manage my own, like, health mm-hmm. and to be able to even – Think about going to the store to get Valentine's or whatever Easter candy, as it turns out. But, like, you, like, in order to even be okay and think of the tools and use them, I have to be on medication. If I'm not, then I'm like, what tools? Mm -hmm. It's all just a joke. Mm -hmm. What's the point? Like, my mean voice that takes over is so powerful that then everything is unavailable to me. Mm -hmm. Like,
1: and we have to change the narrative, like, not just the system and the social narrative, but it starts, it literally starts with us because we tell ourselves, I mean, for, for me anyway, when I, when I could go through it, when I'm in that depressive episode, I am repeating to myself, these narratives that I've heard my whole life of like, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. And like, yeah. you need to get up. You need to be, you know, you can't rest yeah. or, um, you know, you're, you're, you need you know you're being a bad mom right now Yeah, you're failing Mm -hmm. yeah and so kind of shifting that narrative a little bit and like louie one of my therapists once said was like would you say those things about yourself if you had a broken leg yeah and like would you judge yourself for being in bed Mm -hmm. and it's like no like that's obvious or would you judge yourself for taking like a sick day mm-hmm. or taking ibuprofen because you're in pain exactly yeah. and so exactly and so being able to to kind of really make mental health like not this like fake thing totally but it, it's just as real and and we're seeing you know just as dangerous mm-hmm. as these like chronic illnesses or these injuries and so to me like being able to put it on that level mm-hmm. instead of this like thing that's out there and you know not related but putting it on the same playing field as like a medical illness is what helps me take care of it because like if i had a broken leg i would be doing all the things i would be icing and resting and going to physical therapy i would do all those things as as a lot of us would because we need to walk and you wouldn't be mean
0: to yourself about doing those things, right? You'd be like, "This is what I have to do, like, oh, it's so a self-care, get better, <laughs> <I> yeah, <see.
1: laughs> right. but yeah." With mental health, it's the same thing. We need we need yeah. our mental health to do the day to day things yeah. and to, you know, and and I think for us, you know, try to try to make a difference, mm-hmm. try to. You know, it's so important. It's so important in so many aspects, and so that's why, to me, I really has my experience is I really don't judge. You know, like we never know what people are going through, yeah. and I, I'm trying. You know, I, I don't. I still don't tell my story a whole lot. That's why today is kind of. A lot of people, I think, don't know a lot of my struggles, and except unless they've been in one of my presentations which is usually like kind of like a select crowd of providers and whatnot not really family and friends so it is still a little hard but it's you know it's something that that I'm working on and also I don't ever want to do a disservice to people to my family to my daughters to my nieces to say Oh, I'm perfect. Yeah. I'm getting my PhD. And, you know, life is so I've been really more intentional about sharing things that are like real. Yeah. Of like, oh, look, I, I thought I was going to graduate walk across that stage this may but it's that's not happening yeah and so um or even like the valentine's day thing of Mm -hmm. like oh i messed up like i there was nothing at anywhere for
0: valentine's day Um, i wish we would have run into each other last night because it was the same i was just like
1: oh gosh yeah we, we actually had jolly ranchers left over from from like the super bowl somebody brought some over so yeah we used that and i knew that We used popcorn because, you know, popcorn is going to be there, but everything else was like gone. And so, yeah, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty funny, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's messy. And I think that's the stories we need to hear. Cause you know, if I just posted like, Oh, this, then it's like, Oh wow. She must have Have it all together. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I I want people to see that I don't have it all together and that's okay. And I'm still able to do things, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm also still, I have, I can complain about things and, you know, be, be real. Yeah. I just want it to be real because I don't ever want to think that, you know, you have to be a certain way in order to do certain things. So I think yeah. it's
0: important. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And it's the whole reason for this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, the whole reason we started mother love was because we felt like more real conversations needed to be had and that more moms needed to hear that they're not alone and that nobody's perfect and that we're all just doing our best and that it's freaking hard yeah it's like really hard yeah and I think that the hardest thing is to try to do the hardest thing when you're being so hard on yourself Mm -hmm. about like not being perfect it's Mm -hmm. like neither of us would have been able to figure anything out about valentine's and if you didn't awesome like that's like it's just another day, ultimately, and like you know, but but I wouldn't have been able to even like consider even anything about it had I been like, oh, you already failed. You know, there's not going to be anything at the store. Like you, like look, you're not a good mom. Blah blah blah. Like if, if I would have gone down that line of thinking and and been like, all the other moms went to the store a month ago, mm-hmm. you know, then that like takes all of the energy out of my yeah it makes me feel like I shouldn't even try. Mm -hmm. And that is like the thing that is so important about being real and having real conversations is like, if you know more people are in the same boat as you, then you kind of feel like, okay, well, we're all just going to do our best then. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And like those thoughts come to me. I was like very much, I was grouchy yesterday morning. I was like, sent my family out the door, like, you know, like this is not okay. Like, like, yeah. And um so those thoughts come, but now it's it's just a little bit different, like probably than you know, all the medication, definitely. Yeah. But also having a different narrative of like you can do hard things. Yeah. Like you shouldn't have to. It shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. But you can you can do it if you want to. Like yeah. I very much had a moment of like, you know what, I could just say, We're not doing this. It's fine. Like everything's yeah. gonna be, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Another one of those moments. One time I was dropping my kids off and I could feel myself that perfectionism yeah. coming up of like, Oh my God, we're actually, we're real, We're actually late today. Like today's yeah. the day we're late. Totally. And then I could kind of see my girls starting to be like, Oh my God, we're late. Like, yeah. like freak, kind of starting to freak out cause I mm-hmm. was, and I was like, but that's okay. <laughs> I yeah. caught, caught myself, you know, like projecting onto them and, uh, but that's okay. We don't have, we're, we're on time. Like most we're on time all the time. Yeah. So if we're going to be late, that's fine. Yeah. You know, we're not perfect. We yeah. don't have to be perfect. And it's so funny because I say those things to my girls because it's literally what I need to hear yeah. and changing, changing that narrative. But yeah, I totally was beating myself up yesterday. And and part of it, you know, going through these things, it's almost like what they say about labor too. Is like, well, you did it, you know, you did it, then you can do anything kind of yeah totally and and i i know that i've been through something you know i've survived and i'm surviving and yeah. I'm, I'm a i'm a fighter mm-hmm. and so i just you know wherever i choose to direct that energy like it yeah I'm, I'm i feel more confident that i'll be okay
0: yeah yeah i think that's probably a great place to wrap up awesome yeah so cool. thank thank you so much Annie. yeah, what yeah a, thanks for having me what a wonderful conversation yeah it's been great thank you to our incredible editor and producer Brooke Boone Miller for sharing her gifts with us she's a mom and she gets it and for that we are so grateful if you are seeking supportive parenting resources please visit hmhb-lifts.org An online guide meant to connect Montana families to services and programs throughout the state. It's okay not to be okay. Help is within reach, and you don't have to go this alone. We promise. And if mother love speaks to you as much as we hope it does, please consider supporting this project by subscribing to the podcast, sharing it with your network, and or writing us a quick review. We are passionate about getting these stories out into the world, and we need you to help us spread the word. Oh, and just one more thing. We know a lot of moms who are really fired up about creating change in the maternal health care world. If you feel inspired to make a donation to this movement, please go to hmhb-mt.org donate or click the link in the show notes. Even just a $5 or $10 donation can make a huge difference. Imagine a future where mothers and caregivers feel supported, seen and heard as they carry out the most important work of their lives.